Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week three is in the books. Has your team fired their coach yet? Uh, no, I had that experience last year, though, so we got that out of the way. <laughs> so you can relate. I'm still playing the road game, by the way, Joey. Still, still playing the road game. Still playing the road game. Uh, power cable for the for the mic has still not shown up. Uh, it is. You're only about three hours from home. <laughs> Somehow the power cable is halfway across the globe. We you know don't really know how that works space-time continuum with the yeah. supply chain and all that who knows yeah. uh, <laughs> it's in taipei or something <laughs> it started there and then we got it and then it got back there somehow we don't really know how this works anyways weird <laughs> mike we had a lengthy and eventful uh, slate of games in the acc this weekend a lot of fun games to watch i hope you got a chance to uh, watch those as we did um Mike, can we just uh, take a couple of, of liberties, and that's not a pun on one of the games we're going to talk about later. Can we just take a, a little bit of a liberty here and, and start with one of the less interesting results of the weekend, but one I think that people want to hear about? Number 20, Ole Miss, 42, Georgia Tech, nothing. Joey, the floor is yours. Yeah, I mean, this was embarrassing. Again, um, this is the third out of four games against Power 5 competition that Georgia Tech has been shut out. Um, I do remember, you know, at the end of the Paul Johnson era, there was a, a a streak, a lengthy streak that was alive and well that Georgia Tech had not been shut out in a football game since 1997, I believe it was. And uh, before that, they hadn't been shut out at home since like apparently the late 50s, I believe it was, was the stat that came up uh, a couple of days ago. Um, Jeff Collins has now been shut out four times as head coach at Georgia Tech. Uh, the first one, I don't know if you remember, Mike, uh, came at the hands of your Hokies in 2019 in a, I believe, a 45 to nothing win. recall. 45 to nothing win in Atlanta. So both of those streaks out the window. Uh, they have since been shut out three more times, most recently by Notre Dame, Georgia, and now Ole Miss. Um, just a pathetic effort. Horrible effort. Um, and, and speaks to just how just, go, like, this is over. We're done here. Um, he's going to be fired at some point. I, I don't know exactly when it is a time, a, a timing issue at this point. It seems like, uh, my understanding is that there's some questions around, is it, is it only Collins that's going to be gone or is the athletic director, Todd Stansberry going to be gone with him? Um, that's very much in play and you know, the order of how you do those things and, and who gets to hire who is kind of in question, I think. And so, um, it, it, it is almost impossible to imagine Collins coming back from this at this point. Um, part of it is just just watch the effort from this team. Um, one of the most embarrassing things I think I could imagine about this game was Ole Miss gets the ball to start the game, goes five plays, 74 yards, touchdown. I mean, just knife through uh, hot, hot knife through butter, butter through hot knife through hot butter, whatever. Um, it was bad. They, they just went straight through the Georgia Tech defense. 
Georgia Tech gets the opening kick, gets the kickoff back, three plays, nine yards, punt. Except that punt doesn't go anywhere because it got blocked again. Georgia Tech had another punt blocked for the third time this year. Um, there were a number of Ole Miss defenders, both on that play and on uh, several plays throughout the game, that were just running completely unblocked. Um, I mean, it was a total system failure from Georgia Tech. And, and you saw, I, I think you saw last year, and I think you're starting to see it again, a decent amount of quit in this team, Mike. Um, so if you're looking for gambling interests, just remember Georgia Tech might quit on this on this coaching staff at almost any point during a game, and things are going to get really out of hand. So I don't know. I, I was really not impressed with the effort from the offense. Um, th- there were a lot of miscues, again, with blocking and, and just some of the simple things I felt like. Um, defensively, it felt like they were just – one step behind Lane Kiffin the entire game, just chasing guys around, took bad angles, weren't making tackles. Um, really not a great effort there. Just wholly unimpressive. Um, you had fans, I believe, booing the team going into halftime because Jeff Collins, once again, bungling some of the clock management stuff. Um, you had basically the entire stadium emptied out after the third quarter. It's over. It's it's so bad, and I don't know. It... it I don't know what, what, what is a fair expectation of Georgia Tech in year four coming off the option, even with the, the COVID year and um, you know all the other things that we talk about with Georgia Tech, but I know it's better than this. I know it's better than this, and I know we deserve better, and at some point soon, I think we're going to be in position to at least have some hope to get better, but for now, man, it sucks. It sucks. It's not fun to watch. It's not fun to be a part of, and I'm just... We all know where this is going. It's just a question of when we're going to get there. So that's that's the thing that I'm I'm trying to keep out, keep an eye out for. I, there were some rumblings that it might happen today. Uh, it seems like that has not been the case, and he might survive another few weeks. I think the the really popular target they might shoot for is the bye week, uh, which would come after the Duke game. And nobody's going to look at anything questioned twice if you lose to Duke and then get fired before the bye week like that you know, <laughs> everything works out there. So I don't know, just, just not good for Georgia tech at all. And, and it seems like this season is going to go downhill in a hurry. Yeah. Th- this, this game sucks. Okay. So they have um, a pretty tough schedule the rest of the way. And it's tough, not because the other teams are necessarily really good. It's more because Georgia tech's really bad. I mean, over under like one and a half wins the rest of the way. And I say that, and I couch that for the, for the fans and, and listeners at home. Uh, Georgia Tech goes to the bounce house and plays UCF uh, next weekend, right? So on the road to UCF, they follow that at Pitt, home against Duke, by week, like Joey just mentioned, UVA, which hmm, we'll get into UVA here in a bit, um, at Florida State, at Virginia Tech, home against Miami, at UNC, at Georgia. I'm not sure that Georgia Tech wins more than one game the rest of the way. And that's – there are some games that are winnable, right? Um, North Carolina's defense never shows up. So, I mean, even Georgia Tech can score on North Carolina. Virginia Tech is in a first year. It's on the road. That's first-year head coach. Um, Florida State, we'll get into them shortly, but Jordan Travis is health now in question. UVA is bad, right? Duke's at first year head coach. So I mean they're it's not that it's not like they're not winnable games on the schedule, but mm-hmm. Georgia Tech might be worse than all of those teams, right? And if if you have the effort that we just saw 
against Ole Miss and, and a quick factor come into play uh, throughout the rest of the year, then it's hard to imagine this gets any better than like three and nine, even if you give them like a couple more wins. So this could get ugly in a hurry, Joey. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, there, there's about four games on the schedule left that I, I'm not ready to take a Sharpie and write an L next to. Um, right. And, right. and like you said, I mean, I think I think UCF is flawed, and I think if you have a good game plan and execute it, that that's not a, a guaranteed loss. Um, Duke has looked really good so far, and if if that keeps up against you know slightly tougher competition, I, the only your only hope is that they come back down to earth a little bit and towards what we expected of them. But if they're anything like what they have been, yeah, you can just take the sharpie and write the L next to that already. Um, like you said, Virginia, Virginia Tech both have their flaws, especially on offense. You know, at that point, a low-scoring game, like anything can happen. But, like, I mean, otherwise, I, I don't – I just don't see it. I don't see it. This team is, is – um, you know, I think about this team physically, mentally, emotionally on a lot of levels. And uh, there, there's really only one word that comes to mind, Mike, and uh, let me spell it out for you here. Yeah, dude, they're soft. They're soft, man. It's not good. Not good at all. I'm sorry that this is happening to you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. It's, you know, it's sad and it uh it sucks. It's not fun, but uh, you know, it is what it is. And and you know what it's like, you know, it happened to you last year, so you get it. Um, oh yeah. You know, but uh, again, there will uh, eventually he will be gone. There will become a coaching search. There'll be some hope. Um, I, I don't think Georgia Tech's a bad job. I don't think that Georgia Tech is going to have a hard time finding good candidates that are you know going to bring hope to the program and uh, can turn this around. And again, I mean, the roster is still not bad. Like, the roster is in pretty good shape. It's like, I think it's like fifth, maybe sixth in the ACC in, in terms of talent on the 24-7 sports composite. So, like, whoever steps in here is going to have a chance to pretty immediately make an impact. We'll just have to see, you know, if that actually happens or not. It speaks to Collins and his staff's lack of uh, lack of productivity. Let's just say that they've been able to recruit a team that's good enough to be in the top half of the ACC in terms of overall talent, but still, every time they go out onto the field, it's like a totally incompetent product. Mm-hmm. So it's it's poor. Things are going poorly. Yeah, not great. So buckle up, Georgia Tech fans. Going to be a fun. Nine weeks ahead. Uh, make sure your bourbon is ready. Ole Miss 42, Georgia Tech nothing. Where are we going here, Mike? We're from. We're two from here. I, just, I can't talk right now. This is going great. This is what happens. Newborns. Mm-hmm. You and I recording late at night. This is what happens. Florida State 35, Louisville 31 on Friday night. Jordan Travis was hurt in this football game, Joey. Florida State rallied the troops in the second half, played much better offensively. They were able to win this football game in a wild affair. Wild, mm-hmm. wild football game. Malik Cunningham, look, Florida State Florida State gave Louisville an opportunity to drive down the field and win this game late, and Malik Cunningham threw one of the worst interceptions I've seen in the ACC so far this year, it's and that's why Louisville lost the football It was pretty bad. Um, that was why the other reason is that Louisville is, is like a lot of teams, not only in the ACC, but maybe in the country that does not have anybody that can cover Johnny Wilson. 
Um, (laughs) Johnny Wilson, we found out in this game, is the 6'5", 235 wide receiver. uh, Sorry, 6'7", 235 uh, out of California. He goes seven catches for 149 yards and two touchdowns. Had about a 70-yard catch on a post that got them down to the five-yard line. Had another where uh, Tate Rodemaker, the backup, basically throws a jump ball. And uh, when you're (laughs) 6'7", and you can jump like that, nobody can cover you. So, uh, yeah, Johnny Wilson uh, really uh, made a huge impact for Florida State, especially in the second half of this game. As as Cam Underwood would say, uh, Johnny Wilson is elite at running post routes against Louisville. <laughs> From the left side of the field. From the left side of the field. Oddly specific, but okay. And yet again, that's what happened. Um Malik Cunningham for Louisville, I, I feel like, you know, you mentioned he had a pretty bad interception. It was, it was a pretty impressive play from the Florida State defender to make that interception. Um, I mean, full-on, like, NFL-looking interception, got both toe tap, you know, both feet down on the toe tap. Um, but not, not an advisable throw. But overall, I thought Malik was pretty good, other than a few bad moments. Um, you know, Louisville seemed to struggle a little bit in the red zone at times, um, really punching it in and, and finishing drives. And then their defense, I don't know if they just ran out of gas or what it was. I mean, giving up uh, 14 points in the fourth quarter, um, and, and Florida State even missed a field goal on their final drive um, prior to the just you know the little kneel down at the end of the game. Like their final three drives, three three plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Eight plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Six plays, 37 yards, missed field goal uh, from inside the uh, the Louisville 20 yard line. So, I mean, they were they were getting themselves into scoring position. Louisville's defense ran out of gas here. Yeah, and that field goal, um, I mean, it, the game wouldn't have been over, right? Because Florida State would have only been up a touchdown, but it would have put them in a, in a much better situation and put less pressure on the defense. But Malik Cunningham throws that pick, you know, a few plays into that drive, and, you know, that that was it for Louisville. I come away, like, every time I watch Malik Cunningham play, I'm really impressed by, like, his talent and his athletic ability. But I tweeted this on, on Friday night. Like, Lee Cunningham is a really, really exciting player. I also think he's kind of average. And the reason why I say the reason why I say that is because, and I, I know where he stands, right? I know where he stands in terms of Louisville football. I know that, you know, he's broken some of Lamar Jackson's records. Um, I know he's also been there a little bit longer, but he's been a very productive quarterback. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the school, right? Um, you can make the argument he's the best quarterback in the history of the school in some of the categories, right? Um, so, you know, anytime you're mentioned in, in the company of Lamar Jackson, considering what he was able to do at, at Louisville, you're, you're a good quarterback, right? The reason why I say he's average is because Cunningham, I, I think it's everybody's got these really high expectations for him, right, to be kind of this top, three quarterback in the conference. He's always mentioned, it's like, well, Louisville's got Malik Cunningham, you know, anytime you have Malik Cunningham, you always have a chance. Mm-hmm. And then he has a really bad turnover mm-hmm. or a really bad couple turnovers. And I'm just kind of left scratching my head or he has a performance like he had against Syracuse at the beginning of the year where I'm like a quarterback that's this good shouldn't be playing this poorly. Right. So it's kind of this roller coaster ride with Cunningham where it's like, okay, man, that quarterback that I just watched, you know, on Saturday looks like one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Then he'll come out like the following Friday or following Saturday and he'll, he'll look 
you know, as a passer, just kind of like silently mediocre. Mm-hmm. It's always a roller coaster with Malik Cunningham. I understand a lot of that is a product or a byproduct of the team he plays for. I understand that. Um, but there's just too many like weird plays and weird performances out of Cunningham in terms of like his career at Louisville that makes me think that he's not that player that everybody kind of builds him up to be that covers the ACC. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I'm at. Nothing against Malik Cunningham. Again, exciting player to watch, but I can't, I still come away at the end of the day being like, for all the excitement, it's a lot of average. I see. I watch a lot of average play. That's kind of where I'm at. He, he's like a superhero, right? But specifically like Aquaman. He's like a superhero, but like a really underwhelming superhero. I don't know. That feels like a bad a bad analogy, but I don't know. I'm sticking with it. Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy. You know? <laughs> uh, if you've watched The Boys, he is the deep. Um, he's yeah, right. <laughs> really disappointing superhero. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Like like I said, like he has his moments that uh, that really mess some stuff up. He I, I know. He was credited with a fumble in this game, too. And if I remember correctly, this was kind of uh, maybe late first quarter into the second quarter where Louisville was down like in the red zone and the play seemed like it should have been blown dead like badly. And and then all of a sudden, a Florida State defender rips the ball out and they're allowed to keep it. And it was like, hold on, what? You know, what just happened? And um, so I don't know. There's some there's a couple of weird officiating things in this game, if I remember correctly. Again, that's been feels like years ago. Um, you did mention, yeah. Mike, that Jordan Travis goes out of this injury with uh, – goes <laughs> goes out of this game with an injury. Um, it, it there was, it is. Yeah, I think it was an ankle injury. It was in the first half. He was in street clothes in the second half, so there was no chance he was coming back. I don't know that we know the severity of that injury or how much time he might or will miss. Tate Rodemaker struggled early taking over for him, but then seemed to really settle in in the second half, uh, made some big throws at times. Florida State in general just I, – I, I think I tweeted this out or I certainly texted it to you. Like, they look better than they did they a year do. ago. They are improved, man. They do. And, and it's yeah. it, it's not been like a night and day thing. It's just been this, like, slow build, and they are slowly getting there to where – I mean, they're definitely going to make a bowl game. And with this ACC, right. they might, I don't know, they might win like eight games. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned this after the LSU game. Um, you know, Florida State wins a thriller there. And you said this had a lot of Notre Dame, Texas vibes from, from what was that, 2016 maybe? Mm-hmm. Uh, had a lot of Notre Dame, Texas vibes where it's like, man, I'm not sure if both of these teams will make the bowl game, but this is like the game of the year. Um, Florida State has their flaws, right? They, they clearly do. But healthy Jordan Travis has been pretty good, right, through three games. I mean, he was good. He was good in this game against Louisville before he got hurt. He, he had the one interception, but he was 13 of 17 passing for 157 and two scores. He was really good throwing the football in this game before he got injured. Mm-hmm. And he's taken a lot of steps forward. And Florida State as a whole, I tweeted this on Friday night, a sign of progress for Florida State is they have been consistently losing these types of games the first couple seasons under Norvell, right? Year one and year two. They were losing these like really close one score games, right? Grabbing defeat um, from the jaws of victory, that kind of thing. Right. 
Right. They, they were Scott Frosting pretty hard the first couple seasons. <laughs> They're not doing that this year, right? They, they win a close game against LSU. They now win a close game against Louisville to move to 3-0. and They're winning the one-score games now. And that's a huge sign of progression because a lot of like, – like you look at Scott Frost's record, you know, before he got fired in Nebraska, and it was like – I think it was 5-22 and 22 in one-score games um, as a coach in Nebraska, which seems impossible. But what happens – some stuff is left up to chance, but what happens when you get into these one score games is that when you win one of them, you start gaining confidence that you can do it. And Florida state needed to get that under their belt. And they did in a big spot on labor day against LSU. Mm-hmm. They got that big win. We talked about that on that recap. We are like, you know what? Norvell needed this. Like he had been searching for this and he got it. And since then, Florida State's been in the spot now where they go on the road to Louisville. They're in a tight game. They lose their starting quarterback. Roadmaker comes in as a backup. Again, you mentioned it, Joey. Looked rough early, but really settled in. Offense kind of backed up behind him. Sean Ward was really, really good. 126 yards rushing in the game. You know, really gave him a spark in the second half, rushing the football. I know he didn't score, but he had a really good, you know, really strong game running ball. Like Florida State rallied behind their backup quarterback, never believed they were out of this football game. Mm-hmm. That's a sign of progression for Mike Norvell. They're mm-hmm. building something there. And it's also a testament to the patience that needs to be shown for a program as prideful as Florida State to say, you know what? The back end of Jimbo didn't go well. We hired Willie Taggart, didn't go well. We got to give Norvell some time. Mm-hmm. And he's building a program. He's in year three. And they're three and zero, and they're going to be in in a bit of bowl game for sure this year. I don't see any way they're not in a bowl game given their schedule and how they look so far. And this is a team that can absolutely win seven or eight games. And, and who knows, you know, if Jordan Travis, you know, comes back and he's healthy, you know, what the, what this season could be for Florida State. But I think this sets up for a pretty big 2023, regardless of what happens this year. I think expectations will be really, really high for the Seminoles next year. Yep. Yep. I think so. I think so. One other thing I'll mention about Louisville here before we get out of here was that this team, I mean, this game in particular, we saw quite a bit of them shooting themselves in the foot. Um, 11, oh, yeah. pe- 11 penalties for 81 yards, um, three turnovers. You mentioned the Malik Cunningham interception. There was, I mentioned the, the fumble he had. Uh, the other thing I was going to mention was the again the penalties. I mean, there was a drive late in the second quarter. Uh, Louisville is up twenty one fourteen, gets the ball back with about four minutes to go, and has a chance to do the middle eight, you know, score kind of thing, and, and kind of put some pressure on Florida State going into the half. Start of that drive, Mike. False start, false start, and then run for ten, run for nine. And that point, you still don't have a first down because it was first and twenty, and you've only gotten nineteen yards in your first two plays. Um, then they run for seven, get another false start. So you had three false starts in your own building on one drive. Like that's the kind of thing that uh, will drive me nuts if I'm a Louisville fan. Um, and I, and I am so, yes. So things like that, you know, the turnovers again, it's like, this is a very winnable game for Louisville and you found a way to lose it. And that's the kind of thing that is going to basically end up with Scott Satterfield. I think going in a similar direction that, uh, that Jeff Collins is going to be going. Um, I, I think, yeah. I, I would be surprised if this turns around in a way that Louisville is is happy with where they stand to the point that they keep Scott Satterfield around. So uh, we will we will see at this point. But 
you know, you can do better. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Florida State 35, Louisville 31. Uh, let's keep moving, Mike. Number 24, Texas A&M, 17. Number 13, Miami, 9. Joey, I'm pretty sure it, it's 11.02 p.m. on Sunday evening. I'm pretty sure Mario Cristobal just ran the ball in the red zone again on, like, third and eight. <laughs> Mario Cristobal was hoping he was going to get the chance to kick, what, three more field goals to maybe win this game? Here's the thing, right? <laughs> Touchdowns are overrated. Here's the thing. It's almost like the entire country last night was like, oh, my God, does Cristobal always do this? Joey, yes, he does always uh-huh. do this. Uh-huh. He, he, just the East Coast has been asleep when he's been doing this like throughout <laughs> his career. Like, he had, he's known for doing this to Oregon. It drove mm-hmm. Oregon fans insane. And now the entire East Coast now woke up to that because, you know, they they played a game in prime time last night. Everybody saw kind of what Cristobal's made up. Mm-hmm. I think Cristobal's a good coach. I think from a game management standpoint, he's absolute ass. Mm-hmm. And we, we saw that last night, right? There was a sequence there in the second half. And I, I think Miami was down, was it 17? Was it 17 6? When it was like third, it was like third and six uh, inside the 10. Miami runs the ball. They like to run the ball between tackles. They get stopped and then they kick a short field goal. It's like if you're running the ball on third and six from inside the 10 yard line, you would expect that Miami would maybe, I don't know, go for it on fourth down would be the expectation. Otherwise, it feels very odd that you just ran the ball only to kick a field goal to remain down two scores. It was 17-3. to And by the way, that was a drive where Miami had started with the ball first and 10 on their own 25-yard line. Yep. With about 10 minutes and 20 seconds left in the third quarter, they finally, like you said, they run the ball on third and goal from the six-yard line with less than five minutes to go. So they sit there and, like, eat up almost half of the third quarter on this long, drawn-out drive. They run the ball, get two yards. It wasn't even like a – oh, that was creative, that was going to get somebody in space, that might have scored. It was like a handoff up the middle kind of thing and got stuffed. And I mean, I, I don't know, it was it was very uncreative. It was like, okay, well, they're going to go for it here. And then they did right. kick the field goal, and it was like, oh, now it's instead of being a two-score, 14-point game, now it's a two-score, 11-point game. Like, good job, Mario. Dumb. Mm-hmm. I mean, just all-time, just galaxy brain, dumb. And Texas A&M... We mentioned they have offensive issues. They started a different quarterback in this game, Max Johnson, son of NFL quarterback, former NFL quarterback Brad Johnson, transferred over from LSU. Um, he was not the spark plug that AM was looking for at the quarterback position. Not exactly. This is a bad offense AM's got. They're they're bad. This was mm-hmm. actually a very boring football game to watch. I tried to like just keep my eyes glued to it because but it was hard because Arizona State was blowing the game against Eastern Illinois. So, I mean, this game was a lot more fun to watch when you had some action on the under. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, and I really hope that the listeners took our advice on the preview pod when we were like, absolutely hammered the under. It was a lock of the week. It never even got close to going over. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think the, the total closed like 44 and a half, and we finished with 26 points. It, it was never even close. Mm-hmm. So I hope everybody took the under. Yep. Yeah. I, I did get nervous. I mean, AM goes out first drive of the game, eight plays, 55 yards, field goal. 
Miami gets it back, 12 plays, 65 yards, field goal. And then on their on their next drive, A&M goes three and out and punts. But Miami muffs the punt. And so yeah. now Texas A&M has the ball right outside the red zone, basically. And in three plays, they go in and score a touchdown. It's like, oh, gosh, that's – 13 points in the first three possessions of the game, but uh, not <laughs> ideal. Right. That was half of the scoring that we saw all night, you know. So, uh, yeah, just not a not a great situation for Miami here. I don't like part of the question of them kicking field goals, by the way, and this is like a subplot is Miami missed multiple field goals in the first half. Uh, yeah. So at that point, like, why are you trusting your kicker that much? Uh, he's one for three on the night. Like, just go for it. You need points, anyways. I don't know. I, I'm with you. Like it kind of felt like Mario Cristobal was not really coaching this game, trying to win it. He was. It's like he was just looking at the down and distance and didn't really know what was on the scoreboard and making decisions off of that. It, it was bizarre. And for all the uh, for all for all the crap that Manny Diaz has gotten right for what he was able to do or not do in Miami, the one thing I will say is Tyler Van Dyke looked a lot better with Manny Diaz as coaching staff than he has with Cristobal so far. Mm -hmm. This offense has not been very good for Miami, and I think it could potentially catch up with them here in ACC play. Yep, yep. I, I think that's on the table. Um, they, I mean, again, they, they racked up 70 points on Bethune-Cookman. Great. But the last two weeks, I mean, <laughs> again, you, you went the entire first half last week basically without without getting into the end zone. And now this game, right. you go the entire game without getting in the end zone. Right. I don't know that you're going to play that many defenses better than what Texas A&M is running out there, but right. it doesn't seem like this offense is really going to overwhelm much of anybody at this point. So you're going to be in closer games than you want to be. And and when those games are close, and in this game in particular, like weird things happen, you're going to be in position to lose those games, unfortunately. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm with you. This was a, a bit of a boring kind of weird game to watch. Um I think this was a bit of a, an introduction, you know, Miami fans. If, if you didn't really know much about Mario Cristobal, where he came from, what his history is uh, before this, this is, uh, this is the kind of thing that I think is going to be the reason that there's a bit of a glass ceiling there with him running uh -huh. the program. Like, you know, they'll, they'll get really consistently good and they'll probably be winning, I don't know, nine to ten games a year. But when you say uh, the U is quote-unquote back – I'm guessing that's not what you mean is back to winning nine and 10 games a year. Right. Right. They're not national championship. Good. So, but we knew that coming into the year. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, as you said, Texas A&M 17, Miami nine, Mike, before we move on, uh, the, the Georgia tech program is in an absolute crater and there is not a whole lot of anything good associated with it right now. I'll tell you one thing that is good associated with it, and that would be section103.com. Section103.com. Yes, right. sir. As bad as things get on the field for Georgia Tech, things are still great on the internet for section103.com. Uh, it is the internet's best place for finding all sorts of great Georgia Tech apparel. Uh, they have T-shirts. They've got sweatshirts. They've got hoodies, something for the whole family. they got stickers, by the way. Uh, keep an eye out for those. Um, they've got shirts in the official tech gold. They've got all the official word marks on their shirts. These are things that are really hard to find anywhere else. And I don't know why, but you can find them really easily at section103.com. Uh, started and founded by a Georgia Tech grad. And Stephen, of course, is the guy who designed the ATL logo uh, that is now on the Georgia Tech field and uh, gets used in a lot of the marketing and such. Uh, you can find that logo on shirts at section103.com. So go do that. Use promo code GOACC 
for 10% off your first order. Um, again, understand that things aren't good on the field right now, but you know, a lot of us are still pretty hardcore fans trying to find ways to support our Yellow Jackets. We, we're there for the players, and we're there for the program, and, and just want better for it. So if you want to show that, go get some great apparel. It's comfortable. It's high quality. It looks great. Uh, I love mine. Mike, you're not even a Georgia Tech guy, really, in particular, but I think you love yours, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. I do. Bobby Dodd Stadium is your happy place, it turns out. That's right. <laughs> also, uh, my standard Georgia Tech shirt that I have. That's cool. right. That's right. So if you're anything like Mike and uh, Bobby Dodd Stadium is your happy place as well, or at least it will return that way once uh, you know we get a couple things fixed on the field there, go to section103.com. Use promo code GOACC to get 10% off your first order. Really appreciate Steven and the gang for their partnership. Uh, let's keep moving here, Mike. The number 19 Wake Forest, Steeman Deeks, 37, mm-hmm. Li- Liberty, 36, uh, this game was a bit of a roller coaster ride, Mike. This super weird game. Yeah, I'll say Liberty scored a touchdown with just over a minute to go um, to pull within one point of Wake Forest. Liberty tried a two point conversion that failed. Wake Forest sat on the ball. They win the football game. Liberty is very um, well. I thought coming into the into this game without Connor Brewer, I was like, all right, well. You know, Wake will be fine. They'll cruise. Uh, no, Wake Forest defense really, really struggled here in this football game. Mm-hmm. Um, Liberty's offense found multiple ways to move the football uh, in this game. Uh, they had a, a pretty fun quarterback in Kadon Salter, who had two touchdowns in this fo- in this football game. Added an element on the ground. He had seventy-two yards rushing, second leading rusher. Um, Hunter, their leading rusher, eighty-nine yards and a touchdown. Like Liberty found different ways to move the ball on Wake Forest. Wake Forest defense is still pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they surrendered 428 yards of offense to Liberty in this football game. Um, Liberty, by all intents and purposes, playing a backup quarterback, even though I think Kaden Salter is probably better than Connor Brewer. Um, this is, or Charlie Brewer? Charlie Brewer, sorry. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Whichever Brewer. Um, yeah. Somebody, yeah. There, there was a Brewer there. He's hurt all the time and it's late anyway um liberty was four for 16 on third down in this football game but still managed to rack up 36 points and 428 yards of offense that's not good for wake forest no no i mean you hold a team to you hold the team to 25 percent on third down but then liberty went four for five on fourth down in this football game Wake Forest defense could not get off the football field mm-hmm. for, uh, consistently throughout the entire game. The defense could not get off the field, Jerry. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, gave up some big plays, and I don't know. It's like they had some success at times. I mean, they did come up with five sacks and nine tackles for loss in this game. Like, that's pretty good. Uh, they generated three interceptions. Like, that's pretty good. But other than that, I mean, it was like that was like their only way of getting off the field. I mean, Liberty was able to, to get yards and chunks for, for significant chunks of this game. Um, Wake Forest also had a pretty brutal time running the ball in this game. Uh, they they yeah. were struggling against Liberty's front, and, and that was something I was not really expecting. I don't think that Liberty is uh, particularly you know got a particularly vaunted uh, defensive front, you know. But Wake Forest was really struggling to run the ball. It all kind of came down to Sam Hartman, uh, twenty six of forty four for three twenty five, three scores and two picks through the air. Again, two picks, not not ideal. And he is uh, as well regarded as Sam. Hartman is in general 
he is not immune from making some of those mistakes from time to time, throwing interceptions no. and giving the ball away. No, he didn't play particularly well. I know his stats come out to, oh, he threw for 325 yards, three touchdowns. That was not Sam Hartman's best best game yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't think he looked, at times certainly did not look very comfortable back there. Yeah, yep. Um, I, I did also want to make sure just to point out uh, that there was a, uh, a Wake Forest punt that was blocked and uh, turned into a safety, which led us to have some kind of weird-looking scores here. Uh, at one point, that safety had uh, Liberty pull to within uh, Wake Forest 13, Liberty 5 was the score at one point. Um, so that was fun. They kicked, inning. they kicked a field goal right before halftime to uh, avoid the uh, five points in the first half. But um, – but, yes, yeah, so that was fun. But like you said, I mean, Liberty, I, I, I didn't love the decision from Liberty, honestly. Uh, just, you know, they scored the touchdown and they go for two there at the end. I didn't – I, I kind of felt like that was a situation they might should have just played for overtime. Um, and I realized yeah. that Wake, on their previous three drives, I mean, had gone field goal, touchdown, touchdown, um, and, and really been moving the ball pretty well through the fourth quarter. But – I don't know. I mean, it just felt like Liberty was playing with them too. I mean, they—they, they, I don't know. I thought they could have could have hung in there and and thought they might should have just uh, just tried to play for overtime. That was kind of my thought at the time, but um, in any case, it works out for for Wake. Is, a little bit of a ballsy move there by Hugh Freeze. Is Wake a top twenty-five team in your mind right now, Mike? Okay, so that's a take that I had. I don't think so. Um, I think I'm okay with that take. I, I don't think they are. And they, okay, right. Sam Harbin, second game back, um, you know, had a really scary blood clot situation. And Mitch Griffiths looked good offensively in game one. And, you know, they beat Vanderbilt by 20 in game two. But, like, I have some questions about Wake Forest because, like, the offense has been scoring fine through three games. Um, the defense hasn't really made a huge improvement. I think the ACC as a whole is a conference through the first, at least what I've seen out of, you know, week zero up until now. Like, I think the ACC has improved this year, right? So I don't think Wake Forest is going to be in a situation where all of a sudden they're going to, you know, step up and have kind of an easy ride to the Atlantic Division crown. Like, Clemson's defense, still really good. Like, NC State, <laughs> We'll talk about them in a minute. They mm-hmm. look pretty good on Saturday. Like, there, there's some good football teams. Just even in the Atlantic Division, we already talked about Florida State. So, I I'm not sure Wake Forest is a top 25 team. I think if they are, maybe back half, maybe back half of, of the top 25. Um, kind of where they're sitting <clears throat> in the, in the low 20s, I think is, you know, probably correct at this point in time. But, you know, I I think when you consider you know, what Wake Forest has historically been um, uh, under Dave Clawson, they've always done more with less, um, but they've always been more comfortable with, you know, scoring with teams, right. And being able to put up a million points and kind of living with, you know, a mediocre defense. And what scares me about Wake Forest is that, you know, you're not in ACC play doing this where, you know, you're, you're getting into shootouts. It's, a team like Liberty, which, you know, Liberty was supposed to take a step back after Malik Willis goes to the NFL. Um, but but now they step back in. You know, I mentioned the Charlie Brewer injury. 
and, and now that you know that they're playing essentially with backup quarterback, they score thirty six points on the doorstep trying to beat you yesterday. I just have questions about the Wake Forest defense, um, you know, moving forward. And you know, I think Wake's going to score a ton of points this year. I, I think they certainly have the talent to win eight or nine games, but I think it's going to be more of a proponent of their schedule than anything else. I mean, they still have Boston College, Syracuse, and Duke on the schedule. Um, but those are three games that are almost, you know, I, I would say layups. I know Syracuse and Duke are playing good football right now, but I think those are, you know, those three games are certainly layups. You know, we talked about the struggles of Louisville. I think that's a very, very winnable game. Um, so, I mean, we'll see kind of what Wake Forest evolves into, but I think we could be headed for another situation this year where Wake Forest wins eight or nine games, but at the end of the day, we're kind of left there saying, you know what, they're probably not really all that good. It's honestly not a bad way of looking at it, and, and I, I, like you said, I mean, no need to disparage Wake on this, you know. But um, you look at this schedule. I mean, there is a lot of, of win winning potential. We'll say from week to week with a lot of these teams that are very have plenty of flaws, honestly, um, and, and to some degree, I think that's been to Wake's benefit in recent years is they play schedules that are. Uh, beneficial for them and enable them to win a good number of games and so um, I I think there are a lot of winnable games left this season next week they play Clemson and they host Clemson at at home at noon on ABC that'll be a a big popular game I have strong opinions on that game Mike and we'll uh, we'll get to those in the preview It'll be interesting. It has not gone well for Wake Forest here the last few years. Let's put it that way. Not not the best. Not the best. And uh, for what that's worth, you, you also might want to go out and poke around and see what the uh, the early spreads are looking like. Yeah, I I feel pretty good about. Uh, I think I want to put a couple couple shekels on that game, and I think I know which side I want to put them on. Yeah, I have a feeling I know which side you're going to go with there. <laughs> I think you do too. Uh, Wake thirty seven, Liberty thirty six. Let's keep moving, Mike. Um, can we go to like? one of just the the wonkiest craziest endings of the entire day across all of college football Syracuse 32 Purdue 29 what the <laughs> what sorry what the <laughs> hell was this uh all right let me uh, all right i'm going to say something here that i i really don't think Syracuse fans are going to like and i i apologize for that but i'm just here to to tell you what my opinion is uh Syracuse didn't win this game uh Purdue lost it yes i would agree Purdue, 13 penalties for 138 yards in this game, um, including, I don't know how, I mean, they had 30 penalty yards coming off their go-ahead touchdown that set up Syracuse with like, I mean, they had the ball at midfield starting a drive with about a minute left needing a, a touchdown to win. Um, there was that. There were just there were just a lot of things that Purdue did. Aiden O'Connell had a just a horrendous, horrendous decision to uh, to throw a pass that turned into a pick six uh forget if that was the third or the fourth quarter there was there's a lot that happened in this game um Syracuse had for some reason just was not interested in defending Charlie Jones in this game um he had 11 catches for 188 yards and a touchdown um he got he burned Syracuse's defense over the top multiple times um Syracuse's offense was really having a time of it moving the ball. I felt like for a lot of the day, um, I don't know. I 
a win's a win, and they're three and zero, and that's great. And, and honestly, I do think the defense looks pretty good. But this feels like a game that should have been a loss for Syracuse. Um, got outgained substantially here, four eighty five to three oh six. Um, it was just the one turnover for Purdue, but again, the 13 penalties for 138 yards, um, that was basically what Purdue, in a lot of ways, that's how Syracuse was able to win this game was on the back of those Purdue penalties late in the game. Caleb Okachukwu had the 17 yard interception return with eight minutes to play in the fourth quarter. Syracuse had a 10 point lead at that point, And I turned the game off. <laughs> you missed a um, lot. I did. Uh, Charlie Jones had a 55-yard touchdown catch. Payne Durham had a 12-yard touchdown catch from Aiden O'Connell with 51 seconds remaining. Purdue had, like, seven penalties after that touchdown. So Syracuse is basically almost in field goal range when uh, I know they they needed uh, they needed four points <laughs> to, to try to win the game. So field goal was out of question. But they were almost in field goal range after the ensuing kickoff after that Payne Durham touchdown session. Mm-hmm. So Purdue could not stop committing unsportsmanlike conduct penalties in the final minute of this football game. It's a big reason why they lost the game. Mm-hmm. Um, Syracuse has the the wild finish. Garrett Trader throws a touchdown pass with seven seconds to play. You know to to you know propel the orange to a home victory, a very wild game. There were 42 points scored in the fourth quarter between these two teams. So it was a crazy, crazy game. Um, but this is a situation here where, like you mentioned, Purdue lost this game with the penalties, right? Like how they handled themselves as a football program down the stretch in this game, they did not deserve to win, right? Mm-hmm. Syracuse took full advantage. Oh, by the way, after that Syracuse touchdown, Purdue had a couple more unsportsmanlike conduct penalties, so mm-hmm. Syracuse was just able to easily like kick the ball out of the end zone for a touchback um, on the ensuing kickoff. Purdue did themselves no favors in the final man when the going got tough, and that's a sign of a mediocre football team yeah. when you kind of fold up when you face a little bit of adversity. And I know Louisville fans would really like to see Scott Satterfield go and Brom come back and Listen, you take on the identity of your head coach, and when your head coach is getting called for enforcing like contact penalties down the stretch of a game you're trying to win that's nail biters back and forth. Listen, man, not not a great look. Such that, a that's bad all I'll say about that. Such a bad look. Purdue, yeah, that that final kickoff that Purdue had, they kicked off from their own ten yard line. Um Yeah. Purdue had thrown a game tying touchdown. Touchdown pass to, was it Payne Durham, I believe, their tight end. Um, on the yeah. extra point, he gets caught just in the face of someone from Syracuse jawing at him, gets yeah. the flag for unsportsmanlike conduct. I guess upset over that, then before the next play even starts, Jeff Brom gets another unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. So two personal fouls. Going into the kickoff, that you know, you just need one stop to win the game. I mean, just not a good look right. for Purdue. That was, I don't know, man. That, that's what I'm saying. I think Purdue lost this game more than Syracuse won it. Um, Syracuse got a few free points on on just dumb, dumb Purdue things. So I, they're three and zero. A win's a win, and that's great. And Dino needs it, but I am skeptical of three and zero Syracuse. Um, yes, I. You know, even like going along with the theme of something's not right here, we haven't had a post game tweet from Sean Tucker. Like it's like he doesn't even believe it. I don't know what's happening here, Mike. Something's not right. He might be. A, he might be a witness protection. <laughs> he might be. 
he might be. Um, by the way, I, I am workshopping a uh, a new statistic. I will Ooh, are you? There. I am. Uh, it is some. I need. I need to like work on the marketing or the name of it. There's got to be something fun we can do with it. Uh, it is the Schrader Tucker Index. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, tell me more. So this game, Syracuse ran the ball 35 times, including one sack uh, by Purdue. And uh, there were 13 completed passes. Of those, 37 out of 48 plays ended up in the hands of Sean Tucker or Garrett Schrader. Aligning with a take that you've had now for several weeks. This is, this is bizarre. Um, so we said 37 out of 48. That is... 77% of Syracuse's offensive snaps. And it was funny because you notice too, there were, uh, you know, so Aronde Gadsden, the, uh, the second, has a couple of, has six catches for Syracuse. He was their leading receiver with 112 yards for two touchdowns. He was, he was good. He had a good afternoon. I don't know how many of those plays, he, he caught balls on a play where Schrader took the snap. His first, his first move was to look for Sean Tucker, found Purdue did a good job. They had it figured out. They they decided to yeah. cover up Sean Tucker in the passing game, and then oh god, I got to look somewhere else. Oh look, somebody's open. How about that? Yeah, yeah. It's I just the, like is this sustainable? I don't know. I don't know. So far, yes, it has been for almost a full season's worth of games at this point. Yes. Anyways, bizarre game. Um, Syracuse improved. I'll say that the defense is especially pretty improved, you know, very good. Yes. I think, um, right. If they can stay healthy, they, they're going to have a chance to win a lot of low scoring games this year. I'll say that at the very but least, I, but I have a decidedly different thought process when it comes to a three, no Syracuse when they're winning close games and three, no Florida state when they're winning close games. Mm. And that's where, you know, I want to make clear, like the, the orange are kind of scraping by and it's fun because we've been talking about how bad Syracuse has been for a really long time and they're clearly not bad. Right. But they're, they're flawed. And Purdue is a team that should have been able to expose those flaws, but instead they found themselves down two scores in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, they came back and they gave themselves a great opportunity to win the game. And they committed a bunch of stupid penalties and handed the game to Syracuse. So orange are fortunate to be three and out. Mm-hmm. Um, fun hypothetical for you real quick, and then we'll get out of here and keep yep. going. We've got a lot of games left. Uh, yep. October 29th, Syracuse is hosting Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Syracuse win that game? <laughs> they, got, they got a shot. I think almost everybody has a shot against Notre Dame right now. Oh, man. They, they had an interesting Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um I'll be taking the under in that game. I don't care what it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Speaking of, they also host Virginia on uh, is it Thursday or Friday night. What's the 23rd? That's probably Friday night. Yeah, that, that'd be Friday. I like Syracuse in that game, by the way. I think I do, too. Yep. So, But we'll get to Virginia here shortly. Yeah. Uh, Purdue uh, loses to Syracuse. Syracuse 32, Purdue 29. Uh, let's keep going, Mike. Number 16, NC State 27, Texas Tech 14. Um, this game was over after Texas Tech threw a first half pick six. That's mm-hmm. when this game had effectively ended. Texas Tech never really had a shot here. Really impressive win by NC State, Joey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was pretty dominant from end to end, I felt like. And I think this is this is kind of what Dave Doran, in a way, wants from his teams. 
they're going to win games. It's not going to be like a high flying like blowout win, but it just it was a little bit of a uh, I don't know like a like a boa constrictor kind of situation of like just absolutely squeeze the life out of Texas Tech. Um, Red Raiders go two for twelve on third downs. Um, we're not able to. I mean, it was like two point one yards per play on the run uh, in the run game. Like, just not great. You got four turnovers out of Texas Tech, so a really good defensive performance from NC State. They scored some points early. They got up, uh, like you said, on the pick six, made it twenty to nothing, and at that point, it was basically over. Yeah, that's basically when the when the game ended. I thought Texas Tech would show themselves a little bit better here after, you know, the thrilling win against Houston. Uh, two Saturdays ago, didn't end up being the case here. They really, really struggled offensively. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I don't have a ton on this. I mean, just a really complete and um, and dominant performance, I think, by NC State. We call this the dress rehearsal. Mike, I I kind of think they're ready. I think they could maybe use a little bit more offensive firepower, but yeah. I also don't know why you would really uh, show everything you've got this week, although – we did get a little bit of a double pass situation where Thayer Thomas threw a touchdown to uh, Demi Suma Kongbe. Um, so, you know, there was a little bit of something, but I, I think NC State's ready here. In two weeks, they uh, they will go into Death Valley to play Clemson, and uh, we'll see if they can fulfill my prophecy that they will win the Atlantic Division. That is the Atlantic Division championship. Is that what we're calling our shot on right now? I think so. I think, I think so. so if not that, I don't know. Is it? One of the one of these two teams playing Florida State later this year. Like I don't know who else is even mm-hmm. in contention. Yeah, I agree. So, NC State, good job. Twenty-seven, fourteen winners over Texas Tech. The Queen Elizabeth II Memorial <laughs> Game of the Week, Joey. It's it's time. It's time. Cue up pomp and circumstance. Virginia, 16, Old Dominion, 14. UVA had a field goal late in this game as time effectively expired to beat Mm -hmm. Old Dominion. Joey, the Virginia defense played pretty well against a very bad Old Dominion offense. The Virginia offense looked absolutely horrific once again, and they got some issues on the offensive line. We talked about BC having issues up front. UVA's got those same issues. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, for, for a team that wrapped up a little over 500 yards of offense, this was, I don't know, like all the, the red zone performance was really dreadful from, from Virginia in this game. Um, you had multiple red zone fumbles. Uh, you had a missed field goal late that would have put the game out of reach. Uh, instead, Old Dominion goes down, scores a touchdown to take a 14-13 lead with about a minute left. And then Virginia able to get down in position and kick a quick 26-yard field goal as time expired to, to win the game. Yeah. Um, a game that they won, 16 is more than 14, but like you left a lot of meat on the bone. For, for all those yards you racked up and, and everything you were able to do, um, you, you still only racked up 16 points. And that's the kind of thing that's really not going to cut it against better teams. Um, this is, I felt like this was similar to that Virginia Tech game that Old Dominion won yeah. where – Yep. It wasn't like Old Dominion was incredible, um, but the reason they were in position to win the game was Virginia Tech just missed a lot of opportunities and made a lot of pretty brutal mistakes. Yep. Virginia, very similar here. The only difference was they, they were able to escape with the win just barely. But yep. um, you took the words right out of my mouth, Joey. I thought Virginia, the, the one thing they can hang their hat on is that, yep, they made a bunch of mistakes, a lot of stuff that could be corrected. They still won the football game. Yep. Found a way. Found a way. They found a way. 
Um, Virginia's drive chart, basically, um, they kicked a field goal uh, early in the second quarter. After that, for a while, here's what we got. 10 plays, 79 yards, fumble. That was one that was uh, – they were, they were inside the 10-yard line. Four plays, 30 yards, fumble. Uh, eight plays, 64 yards, fumble. So that's three straight drives, including this one also inside the 10-yard line. Three and out, five plays punt, and then finally 11 plays, 46 yards, field goal, and that was uh, midway through the fourth quarter. They kicked a field goal. So, yeah, I mean, again, you racked up a lot of yards there, but didn't really get anything done with it. And that's, again, that's going to be concerns against a better team. So, yeah, uh, you know, could have gone worse, could have lost the game, but could have gone a hell of a lot better in the red zone specifically. Yep, yep, sure could have. Virginia 16, Old Dominion 14. Uh, Mike, Pitt 34, Western Michigan 13. Uh, it took Pitt a little while to pull away here, but they did. It did. Now, I will say we got a, a tip a few hours before this game that – uh, first of all, I, I will say um, it was from a longtime listener, and we really, really appreciated this. And I, I won't name them. Um, if you've listened to this, you've heard this name before, but I just won't name them just in case. But uh, pass along. This was, uh, I guess, Friday afternoon. Regarding Pitt, Patty is definitely not playing. His leg injury is unknown but sounds bad. Slovis is maybe, probably a concussion, likely down to our third-string quarterback for tomorrow. That was indeed the case as something named Matt or uh, Nate Yarnell went 9 of 12 for 179 yards and a touchdown. <laughs> uh, sure. Um, said, and then on Saturday, he passed along, by the way. So it looks like we're down our starting right tackle, who's yet to play this year, our starting center, who got hurt in the second half of the Tennessee game, a starting defensive end in Alexander, who got hurt against West Virginia, a starting defensive tackle, not Cansey, thank God, both Slovis and Patty, and one of our two quality running backs in Hammond, who got hurt against West Virginia. Not great, Bob. Uh, no, not great. I was, I am grateful now that I didn't do this, but this had me very interested in going in and putting in a couple of bets potentially on the under and on Western Michigan plus the 10, but uh, I would have lost those bets because Pitt wins this game pretty comfortably. Um, they were able to dominate really, and especially into the second half. So uh, Pitt 34, once again, Pitt 34, Western Michigan 13. It's always good when you don't uh, lose to Western Michigan two years in a row. I was going to say, I mean, at least they didn't lose in Kalamazoo, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Big day for Izzy Abanaconda. Yeah, 133 yards rushing. Mm-hmm. Vincent um, Davis, too, added 83 of his own. Yeah, I mean, they, they definitely needed it. Yep. Joey, let's move on. Let's talk about my Hokies real quick. Virginia Tech 27, Wofford 7. Yep. Um, Wofford scored their first touchdown of the season in the fourth quarter of this football game with Virginia Tech leading 27 to nothing, and Virginia Tech fans were really mad online about that. Uh, was that like before thing. or after everyone had lunch, by the way? Yeah, I was going to say 10, 15 a.m. or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. 10 o'clock Central, by the way. Um, Eight o'clock West Coast. You get it. Uh, This was a game where Virginia Tech's offense, I I thought, you know, was able to capitalize and and play a pretty good second quarter and then wasn't able to really sustain that in the second half. All that to say, this is going to be an offense that's going to be a work in progress for most of the year. Good news about this game for Virginia Tech is that Grant Wells played his best game as a Hokie. Um, he was very good in his football game. 
you can nitpick. You can say he missed a couple of throws. Sure. He was 26 to 35 for 314 and two touchdowns. He did exactly what he's supposed to do against Wofford. Um, he completed passes to how many different receivers did this end up being? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven different receivers in this football game caught a pass. Wow. Um, from Grant Wells. That's really good. Um, running the football, Virginia Tech was missing Keyshawn King, who has been the team's top rusher through the first couple games of the year. Um, he got banged up at the end of the Boston College game. They missed him. Malachi Thomas still hasn't played. Um, they're, they're expecting him back soon, hopefully by West Virginia. But if not, after that kind of, I'm going to call it like a mini buy because they'll play for 10 days after playing that Thursday night game this week. Mm-hmm. Um, Virginia Tech fans who are mad online about the Hokies giving up a touchdown when they're up by four scores in the fourth quarter, really weird thing to be mad about. Virginia Tech's defense has been the best unit um, on the roster this year, like on the team, either side of the ball. Defense has been great. Mm-hmm. Offense still a problem. So let's let's keep that energy with the offensive struggles um, to, to be consistent. That's going to be an issue all year, I think. But Virginia Tech wins twenty-seven to seven. Is best Jerry? Yep, yep. I mean, this is always a good one to at least you know feel good about yourself, crack your neck a little bit, uh, get the offense going. Going to be a slight uptick in competition next week when you host West Virginia. Slight, but I mean, Neil Brown's going to be coaching Wofford soon anyway. So. <laughs> I was going to say, not like West Virginia is, uh, you know, really feeling great about themselves right now either after they got <laughs> beat by Kansas last week. I guess they did beat up on Towson this week, so everyone got their warm-up game in. That's true. That's true. Fans were concerned about that too because <clears throat> West Virginia beat the hell out of Towson. Virginia Tech didn't necessarily beat the hell out of Wofford, so fans were concerned about that because – one plus one always equals two in this sport, Joey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Always. always. Let's talk about one more. There, there's like one more game of, of substance that I think we can talk about, like not at length, but kind of similarly to how we just talked about Virginia Tech. Yeah. Um, number five, Clemson 48, Louisiana Tech 20. It took Clemson a while to put it together once again, Joey. Mm-hmm. Took them a while. Dude. I'm starting to wonder too, though. I mean, this is the second straight game for Cade Klubnik when he has gotten in the game. Not particularly <laughs> impressive. I liked the theory that was floated on a podcast I listened to earlier this week where is DJU the best they got? Question mark. I mean, I heard someone mention last night like how great it would be if Clemson had a quarterback like, oh, I don't know, like Chase Bryce or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh huh. I mean, DJ, you might be the best they got, and honestly, at some point you start wondering: is it really a DJU and Cade Klubnik problem? Right. Or is this a problem right. of this like incestual coaching staff thing that Dabo <laughs> Swinney has going on, where? Nobody on his offensive staff has ever coached anywhere but Clemson. Yep. Time will tell. Um, Will Shipley, 12 carries, 139 yards, two touchdowns. I I will say this. DJU has been very good running the football this year for Clemson. Like, the designed runs with DJU are working. Like, that that part of the offense is working. I think having a backup is is – making them comfortable running him more than they did in previous years. Agree. And I think that's a strength of his game. I think he's good at that. He's a big bodied quarterback. that's hard to bring down. Um, 
this is feeling a little bit like a KJ Jefferson, Arkansas type offense right now with the way the DJ is running the football. A um, little bit more smash mouth power running game with the quarterback. And I think that's because Dabo knows that his receivers can't consistently separate. Mm-hmm. So we're going to find different ways to matriculate the ball down the field and score. So Clemson wins this game by 28 as anticipated. Um, but this took Clemson a little while to separate and all in all, I thought DJ, you played fine in this game. I, I just wonder moving forward against tougher competition, like what is the ceiling of this offense still with him at quarterback? Um, I don't know. Klubnik has not been very good over the last two weeks when he's been in the game. So very, very limited sample size, right? Mm-hmm. But I think everybody, myself included, may have overreacted a little bit to Kate Klubnik's drive against a really bad, what's turning out to be a really, really bad George Tech team mm-hmm. in the opener. That whole like quit thing, by the way. Uh, yes, right. <laughs> that was the correct. last drive of a game they were being blown out of. They might have been quitting a little correct. bit. That's possible. That's correct. Um, yeah, I, I mean, different week, same story for Clemson in that offense. I mean, they, they end up scoring points. They scored 48 points in this game, but they scored 35 of them after halftime. Like, yeah, they get there eventually, but it takes a, some time, and you're not going to be able to get there eventually against some of the teams coming up on the schedule. Yeah, you, I mean, you came out of halftime, and you had a 13-6 to lead. Right. Like, that's against Louisiana Tech. Like, Very – very bad team. Yeah. Yep. And, and and that's even without. I mean, you didn't really turn the ball over. Like, I don't know. I mean, Clemson just just continues to be really underwhelming on offense in a lot of ways that we really were not used to seeing uh, up until recently under them. So, right. Clemson forty eight, Louisiana Tech twenty. Uh, a couple more here, Mike. You want to cruise through these? Yeah. Uh, let's do it. Duke forty nine. NCA and T20. I didn't watch a snap of this game, but Duke's now 3 0. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And continue looking good. I mean, Riley Leonard, 11 of 12 for 155 and two touchdowns. Uh, the one incompletion was actually caught. It was just caught by an NCA and T defender. Um, I, I don't know. I didn't see, so I don't know what happened, but I'm sure it's fine. Um, <laughs> so, well, there you go. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Duke cruised here. I mean, they were up 28 to 6 at halftime, like. You know, NCA and T really didn't get on the board much until the second half. So um, Duke continues to look good. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, Boston College 38, Maine 17. Uh, kind of the final game on the schedule here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boston College was actually losing this game 3 to nothing in the first quarter, but don't be alarmed. They rolled here. Um, Maine's quarterback had a decent game. I don't want to try to pronounce his name, Joey, because if you look at the box score, you'll understand why I'm saying that. Uh, it's, Fanya, it's late. It's it's late, and I don't want to get canceled. Uh, <laughs> Phil Dracovic, 25-37, 320 yards, two touchdowns. Um, offensive line played better for Boston College in this game, but that's because they were playing against Maine. So take away the grain of salt. Maine's defense with three sacks and seven tackles for loss in this game. Boston College, you're going to play better defenses than Maine. Maine's 0-3, by the way. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're bad. They lost the previous week to Colgate, 21-18, and were previously blanked 41-0 by New Mexico. So, oh, in New Mexico. The fact that this not was... Not a great football program. Not the best. Not the best. Not exactly Alabama. Um, 
So not super encouraging that this was a game for a little while, but um, you know, Boston College got out of without a you know any real major concerns. So at least there's that. Yeah, uh, Boston College thirty-eight, Maine seventeen. Mike, anything else before we uh, get into a couple of awards? Let's, let's hit them. Let's hit it. Let's see if I can get the music to work here. Oh, hey, there it is. Mike, the uh, Go ACC moment of the week. Um, we, we were, there's no way we were going to give out all these awards without going back to uh, my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And, um, we got late in the third quarter. Georgia Tech's down 35 to nothing. And uh, defense is kind of sees what's going on here. They're not getting any help in the offense. Once again, that quit word comes up. And uh, yes. Ole Miss has, I believe, a third and 14, something like that. And uh, Jackson Dart, the quarterback, decides that uh, he's got to get out of the pocket. He's got to start scrambling. And then decides, oh, we got to run for this thing. And he does. And uh, in front of him is Jalen King right around, you know, just short of the sticks. He says, oh, no, no, we're not getting – we're getting off the field here on third down. We're going to go. And Jackson Dart says, no, uh and goes right the hell through Jalen King. Absolute truck stick move there from uh, from Jackson Dart. So to Georgia Tech defenders deep in a blowout, just getting run the hell over. And I, I'm trying to use a good one. Run the hell yes. over. Yes. Go ACC. Don't do what I do. It's, yeah. Went full truck stick with the game while in game. Good job, Jackson Dart. Yeah. So go ACC to that. Uh, I don't know. Not great. Don't do that again. Uh, Mike, the uh, Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award. Does that go to Manny Diaz? Good, yes. Mario Cristobal and uh, Red Zone Clock Management. Red Zone. I was going to say Manny Diaz had a great day on the road at Auburn. His defense. Ooh, buddy. Manny regrets nothing right now. Oh, Manny's having a great time at Penn State. Mm-hmm. Replacing Brent Pride. Uh, he's, having, he's having an excellent time. Um, yeah, I mean, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial, you tried to award. Look, Brian Van Gorder, really bad football coach. Mario Cristobal, better coach than Brian Van Gorder, but we're going to question some coaching decisions with this award this week, don't we? I think as we should. Uh, we mentioned the game management. The, oh, we're going to have this 85-yard drive that took up like seven or eight minutes, and we're going to kick like a 25-yard field goal at the end of it and still remain down two scores. Is that the best use of everybody's time, including yours, Mario Cristobal? That's a question I have. Might be. Hmm. So, yeah, you tried. You tried to uh, you know, get points on the board, and you got some, but not enough. You, you lost the game. Yes. That's correct. Good job, Mario. Mike, do we have a uh, Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week? Oh, um, I, I believe we do, Joey. <laughs> we absolutely do. Oh, wrong game. Good <laughs> podcasting. How about you, how about you name your team of the week real quick? Uh, my team of the week. Um, does that come back to Florida State? Maybe. I think that's an option. NC State looked good. I don't know. Like the ACC did well this weekend. Honestly, like most of the ACC's teams won. Syracuse might get that win. Might get might get team of the week. I think there's a couple of candidates here. Do you have a preference? Uh, mine's Florida State winning on the road. Backup quarterback most of the second half. Come from behind win. Uh, it's 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 got to be Florida State. Yeah, that's my team of the week. 
Give me Syracuse. Um, I talked a lot of mess about them, so they can be my team of the week. I'll, I'll redeem myself here. Go Orange. Go Orange is right, Joey. <laughs> um, volume shooter of the week, the Georgia Tech running back room. Oh, yeah. Paul Smith, Paul Smith, McDuffie, 18 carries for 55 yards. Yeah. Not a lot going on the run game there. Not great. Not pretty. Not pretty. Um, yeah, no, I think that's that's accurate. That was not a great performance there. Yeah, poor. Uh, team of the week, you said Florida State. I said Syracuse. You got a player of the week? I got one that I'm not sure you're going to necessarily agree with, um, but he made some big-time plays down the stretch in the football game. His stats don't really reflect that he should be a player of the week, but I think he will his team to victory. Garrett Schrader is my player of the week. Um, not great passing numbers. He was 13-29 against Purdue, but he had three passing touchdowns, including the game winner. He, he was also a leading rusher with 83 yards rushing. Um, he willed Syracuse to victory offensively on Saturday, so he's my player of the week. I, I will say I, I was largely underwhelmed by him as a passer throughout that game, and, and I'm kind of getting that way increasingly in general. That game-winning touchdown pass that he threw was a dime as he got smoked by a defender. Big time. I mean, Big that, time throw. That was one of the best throws of the weekend across college football. So, like, and yeah. he, he's good for a, f- a couple of those a game where he just – all of a sudden a guy that's, like, you know, not throwing the ball that well, all of a sudden will just drop one in there. It's perfect. Yep. So, yeah. Um, yeah, credit to him. He can be your player of the week. I'll take Johnny Wilson from Florida State. Um, yeah, I think that's the obvious one. Kind of, kind of wheeled his team, and that's a again a wide receiver. We don't get to celebrate those guys too often, but he he had a couple of massive impact plays that kind of got Florida State the win there in in yep. Louisville on Friday night. So uh, I'll take him as my player of the week. Like it. Yep. Uh, all right, Mike. I think that's all I have on week three. Anything else? Uh, yeah. This was week two. No. Week three. Was it week three? It was week three. Okay, it was week three. Dude, sleep deprivation is a hell of a drug. (sighs) (laughs) On the week four. You know what else is a hell of a drug? Cocaine? Beating Notre Dame, apparently, because Bowling Green beat Marshall this week. (laughs) Yeah, in in overtime. Uh, Man, Charles Huff. Yeah, that's a brutal way to come back the week after (laughs) getting that win in South Bend. That is not it. Mm-mm. Not great. Not great. Hey, uh, good on you, Scott Leffler. On the board with a win this year. <laughs> on the board with a win, and it's probably one of the biggest of your head coaching career, quite honestly. <laughs> yeah. Might be up there. Might be up there. Yeah, definitely a, a bit of a head scratcher for Charles Huff and Marshall. Um, I don't know. That seems like a bit of a roller coaster team that you might get something very, very different from week to week from them. Yeah, the next step in their progression will be, I don't know, being consistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> – oh, is that all, just being consistent? No big deal. Yeah, that's something that's very easy to achieve. Yeah. Mike, that's actually all I got. Um, anything else before we work on getting out yeah. of here? This, this was week three. Just want to confirm. <laughs> we, we have uh, checked with our sources in the industry, and they have confirmed yeah. it was week three, in fact. Yes. Uh, week four coming up this week. And if I'm not mistaken, like we said earlier, there is a Friday night game. It is really like absolutely messing with me, Mike, that we don't get 
college football on Thursdays anymore, except we do. Oh, except a big one. In Blacksburg, as again, your Hokies hosting the West Virginia Mountaineers. Once again, might be the uh, intended. the ineligible game to see who isn't going to make a bowl game, but uh, that'll be fun on Thursday mm-hmm. night instead of watching whatever it's- nonsense NFL game is on. And then Friday night, Virginia at Syracuse. So a couple of really good games to talk about in the weeknight and then a, a pretty good slate on Saturday as well um, where – uh, you can assume that Georgia Tech will still be running out Jeff Collins and his band of merry men uh, or whatever circus he's got going there on Saturday in Orlando against UCF at the bounce house. So we'll see how that goes. And his, yeah. his band of merry men. Happy holidays. Uh, go to your book, check your local listings, and uh, get, get tickets in on UCF early, I would recommend, because that line is not going to get smaller. It's already at 16. Nope. It is not. 16 already. <sighs> on that note, Mike, you want to work on getting out of here? Oh, yeah. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify, all those good places. Uh, find us on Twitter at FTRS Joey, at Mike McDaniel SI, together at BC Podcast ACC. Send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns, the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Um, yeah, we got a couple hanging out in there we'll get to those one of these days i swear we they're, they're still there we know it uh mike where else can they find us in the social medias facebook facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review find all of our podcasts there sir please do please do keep it tuned here if there is a firing from i i don't know just any sort of school such as schmorsha um in the acc it rhymes with that um there'll probably be a pretty emergency possibly solo possibly tandem podcast we'll see uh, but keep it tuned here. We will uh, we will keep you updated as the uh, the fall develops with more games. Mike, have a good night. Get some rest. We will talk about week four very soon. It is week four, I swear. Yes, sir. Week four, not week three. <laughs> I'm stupid. We are we are getting dangerously close to some uh, you know pretty in depth ACC play. So that'll be fun when we get there. Mike, oh, yeah. <laughs> Mike, have a good have a good night. We'll talk soon. You too, bye. All right. For that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon to preview week four. And until then, go ACC. Closing time. Every new beginning comes from some other beginnings. And-